I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. Coming up, we talk with Ethan Green, director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, about a new report on just who dies in avalanches. The people that seek avalanche safety training are doing so because they want to go into avalanche terrain. And so they want to expose themselves to this hazard, not because they're trying to get killed, but because that allows them to do some of the recreation that they want to do. season in Colorado. Skiers are flocking to the groom trails at ski resorts. Plenty of people are also going into wild areas, the backcountry of Colorado. It's filled with thousands of square miles of public lands. Anyone can go there, put on their skis, their snowboards, get out their snowmobiles, and head into wild terrain. This wild snow country is beautiful, but it can also be deadly. Avalanches kill more people in Colorado than any other natural disaster. During last year's snow season, 37 people died in avalanches throughout the United States. It was the nation's biggest number of avalanche fatalities in 100 years. 12 of those avalanche deaths were in Colorado, meaning that last year nearly a third of all the avalanche deaths in the United States happened in Colorado. The avalanche death count might have been much higher if it weren't for the efforts of sports enthusiasts and scientists who provide up-to-date avalanche forecasts for anyone heading into the backcountry. These experts also promote avalanche safety classes. And recently, experts here in Colorado have done scientific analysis of just who gets caught in avalanches and why. A new report about avalanche accidents will soon be published in full detail. You can get a sneak preview of that report by putting in your search engine the report's title. It's Education and Experience Levels of People Involved in Avalanches During the 2019-2020 Colorado Avalanche Season. Now let's hear from the co-author of that report. Ethan Green directs the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. He spoke with us via Zoom from his home base in Leadville. My name is Ethan Green. I'm the director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, tasked with reducing the impact of avalanches to the people in Colorado and the economy of the state. You have, what, about two dozen avalanche forecasters who go around digging snow pits, analyzing what's happening, trying to prevent people from dying in avalanches trying to keep avalanches from burying highways. Yeah, that's right. We uh, have a staff of about 25 and we're spread out all over the state. The program is part of the Department of Natural Resources. Our work really focuses on forecasting and education. So we forecast the potential for avalanches in the backcountry areas of Colorado. 28,000 square miles is what we talk about on a daily basis. And then we also partner with CDOT to forecast the hazard for the state and federal highways, monitoring 422 avalanche paths in 27 road stretches around the state every day. You told me once, Ethan Green, that you can't catch all the avalanches because there's probably about 200,000 of them in Colorado every winter. For 
a transportation corridor, we know exactly where that road is going. We can map all the places that potentially could produce avalanches that threaten the highway. When we're looking at the backcountry, we're talking about this huge area and we have avalanche paths that are 3,000 vertical off big peaks and also small slopes, places that get very deep snowpacks every year and places that really only come into play when we have unusual storms. We do regional forecasts that talk about uh, general conditions over wide areas, and then people use them based on their application. So if they're going snowshoeing, they might take the information and use it differently than if they're going snowmobiling. Despite all of what you do, there's people who die every year in Colorado. How many people died in avalanches in the United States last year? How many died in Colorado? So last year was an especially bad year. It was the worst year in the United States in about 100 years and a little bit less than that in Colorado. So 37 people that lost their lives in avalanches last year in the United States and 12 people in Colorado. The average in Colorado is six people die each year, which makes it the most deadly natural hazard in the state. Yeah, you know, it doesn't sound like that many people. I mean, it's awful that it happens, but... You know, when we're talking about human life, it's a very difficult subject. If that's somebody that you know, or especially if it's a loved one, of course, it has a huge impact on those people in those communities. And we really saw that last year where some of these deaths were really focused in certain communities and, and it just had a terrible impact on the survivors. In order to have avalanches, really all that you need is snow on an inclined slope. We have that a lot of times in a lot of places in Colorado, which is part of the reason why it's such an important natural hazard in this state. Whether we're dealing with a period where avalanches are really easy for people to trigger or whether it's really hard to get into a place where you can trigger an avalanche, our group exists to monitor those conditions, provide information to people so that people don't have to keep track of it every day. Whenever they decide they're going to go into the mountains, they can tune in to what we're saying and uh, use the information, hopefully, to make good decisions, have a good time on our public lands in the mountains and come home safely. Ethan, I'm going to pause from our conversation to share some details from some of the avalanche forecasts that your group does that people can find on the Colorado Avalanche Information website. And, and I'll just play some of those so people get a sense of the sound of what people are doing when they're trying to warn people about where the risks are. Hi, this is Brian Lazar with the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, and welcome to your weekly avalanche outlook. We've had a lot of avalanche activity over the last week. You can see here as we look on the map that we've had avalanche activity of most places across the state of Colorado over the last week. Over the last week, we've had 11 people caught in avalanches, including some pretty high profile events. So as you can see in this image, this is a picture of all the very, very weak surface snow. With just a few inches of snowfall and a little bit of wind drifting, we built very thin slabs on top of this very weak snow and it's, they've been very, very easy to trigger. So here are some images from the last week. Most You've been hearing some avalanche forecasts you can see online by going to the website of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. If you venture into snow country, you might also get the Colorado Avalanche Information Center smartphone app, which shows you the latest avalanche danger throughout Colorado. In addition to avalanche forecasts, the Colorado Avalanche Information Center shares footage from someone who happened to be filming when a friend got caught in an avalanche. That footage can be gripping, like when someone is skiing on a hill and suddenly the pristine snow starts to crack into pieces like shattered glass and the snow begins to slide. 
There's also footage of snowmobiles. The first snowmobile becomes a dot in the distance. It's disappearing over a pristine crest of snow. Suddenly, behind that first snowmobile, a huge outline of shimmer appears in the snow. That shimmer outlines a ragged area that's probably the size of a football field. The person filming his friends realizes that the first snowmobile has triggered an avalanche. The second snowmobile is in its path. So as he's filming, he says this. Oh, bad. The person filming is too far away to stop what's happening or to help. So he films. As the tiny dot that is the second snowmobile stops moving up the hill, in slow motion, that second snowmobile starts sliding backwards. Then the dot that represents a person on a snowmobile disappears under a cloud of snow. If you listen carefully, you can hear the panic and the breathing of the person who is filming. The Colorado Avalanche Center publishes footage like that. And the center also publishes accident reports where avalanche experts go to the place where someone has died. They share things like the seemingly small mistakes that someone made that led them to never get back home. These are examples of real backcountry accidents that are posted on the Colorado Avalanche Information Center website. Information on the website also includes a new report titled Education and Experience Levels of People Involved in Avalanches During the 2019-2020 Colorado Avalanche Season. But if you assume that it's only people who are unaware of avalanche danger, you might want to look closely at the report. Now here's Ethan Green director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. The article is going to be published, I think, this next month in the Avalanche Review, which is a publication by the American Avalanche Association. And this really came about in the, the midst of the pandemic. You know, we had this shutdown in March of 2020. We had some avalanche issues around and after that shutdown. Fortunately for us, we had a little bit of a break over the summer where the rest of the folks that are dealing with backcountry recreation and use of public lands saw dramatic increases in use and spent a lot of time trying to adapt to the use patterns and the use needs of people over that summer. Okay, so let's go back and just so that I understand what you're saying. The pandemic hit. The pandemic hit in March of 2020. Pretty much everything shut down. The ski industry shut down. We had all of these people in Colorado that were looking to stay sane. Folks in Colorado really value outdoor recreation and exercise. And so people were going out into the backcountry to ski. We were fortunate that in a lot of the state during that time, we actually had uh, fairly stable avalanche conditions. But in the Southwest, we had some pretty dangerous avalanche conditions and we had a, a little outbreak of avalanche accidents and, and some serious avalanche accidents. This was in 2020 in the spring. The spring of 2020, yeah. All of the ski resorts shut down. There were people who wanted to go out into the snow. They couldn't go to the ski resorts, so instead they went to the backcountry. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of people that were out. And like I said, we did have um, some pretty serious avalanche accidents and some search and rescue responses. But the snow ended up melting, and we ended up with our off-season in the summer. Ethan Green as the head of the director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, you're concerned about snow. And there wasn't a lot of snow during the summer, but you were seeing the use of the backcountry go up so high, you started bracing yourself 
for the winter season that started in 2021. What happened? We were trying to get ready for what, what was going to happen because nobody really knew. But one of the things that people had talked about was that we were going to see this huge increase in use, all these new users that didn't have any avalanche training or avalanche experience. We were going to need to provide a whole different level of services for that group. And we decided to take a look at the data that we have to really try to understand who was getting caught in avalanches and if there was some way that we could look at their skill sets, their experience, their training. Well, of course, that makes total sense. I would imagine personally, until I read your report, I would have imagined that the average person who gets killed in an avalanche doesn't bother to take avalanche safety classes, which you can find everywhere. They don't bother to wear an avalanche beacon that lets somebody in their group find them if they haven't died in the avalanche already and hopefully find them within 15 minutes so that they don't suffocate in the snow. I pictured it was people who disregarded all of those kinds of safety measures and just went out in the snow and said, never mind, I'm going out there. That's not too far off from what we used to see 30 years ago. Most people didn't know about the avalanche forecast centers. They didn't know that there was public information. A lot of people didn't know that avalanches were as much of a hazard as they are or what to do with them. But that has really changed the availability and the demand for avalanche safety training has gone way up, even just in the last few years, but certainly in the last 20. And also the availability of avalanche rescue equipment and the sophistication of that equipment has really gone up. Now we have avalanche rescue transceivers, what people call beacons. We've gone from just these analog beacons that really just transmit the pulse and receive the pulse to these units that are actually doing some data processing on that to try to help you figure out what direction to go and how far away you are. We also have uh, airbag devices, which help keep you from getting buried so that you do have a greater chance of surviving. Ethan Green, you're sounding so optimistic there, director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, and yet I saw that other video that you recommended from the Know Before You Go people. The guess is that there would be another 25% of people who would probably survive avalanches if only they were always with their friends when the avalanche happened. They were carrying avalanche beacons so that they could be found if they were buried in the snow. Ideally, if they were wearing that airbag that lets them lift a little bit up from the snow. But it's still said that even with the best of circumstances, if somebody's buried in an avalanche, the most people die being asphyxiated under the snow, which hardens like concrete if you're in an avalanche. None of this sounds very good. It's true. If you're buried in the snow, chances of survival drop precipitously. That's why what we tell people is that they need to spend their efforts and their time making sure they don't get caught in an avalanche. You have a lot of options before you get caught in an avalanche. And sometimes very subtle changes in the terrain and very subtle changes in terms of how you're moving through the terrain can make a really big difference in terms of the uh, amount of hazard that you're exposed to. Once you get caught in an avalanche, you're really at the whim of Mother Nature. You just have very few options at, at that point. About 75% of people that die in avalanches do die from asphyxiation. So getting buried with your head under the snow is definitely something you want to avoid. 25% and a little bit less die from trauma in the actual avalanche itself. These are things that you want to try to avoid. When we're looking at dry snow avalanches, over 90% of the people that die in them trigger the avalanche themselves or somebody in their party does. And so it really comes down to 
us being the issue. We have a lot of control over where we go, when we go places by choosing carefully, getting good information from your local forecast center, getting some training so you know how to use that information and making good choices, you can recreate for years in the backcountry safely. That is so inspiring. And yet I read your report about the patterns in accidents that's now on your blog at the Colorado Avalanche Information Center because what you're saying here, Ethan, makes it sound like all I need to do is go out backcountry skiing with somebody who has a lot of experience, who's very knowledgeable, and yet your data about the people who died in these years that you analyzed indicated that a number of them had quite a bit of experience. A number of them had taken avalanche safety information courses, but they just edged into that place where it was too late. That's absolutely true. But there's a lot that goes into this information and there's a lot that goes into the data analysis that, that you're talking about. One of the things that we need to consider is that the people that seek avalanche safety training are doing so because they want to go into avalanche terrain. And so they want to expose themselves to this hazard, not because they're trying to get killed, but because that allows them to do some of the recreation that they want to do. It doesn't tell you the whole picture to say like, well, more people that learn about avalanches die in avalanches. The people that are learning about avalanches have a much higher exposure to the hazard than somebody that doesn't participate in winter sports or that participate in winter sports takes a lower level of avalanche training because their goal is avalanche avoidance, which really only demands that you learn about how to get the forecast and how to look at the terrain. Whereas if you're going to go into avalanche terrain, your goal is to snowmobile up steep avalanche prone slopes or ski down steep avalanche prone slopes. You need to know a lot more about how to choose your terrain carefully, how to choose those time periods. And your goal is to be exposed to the hazards. The chances of you getting into trouble uh, are going to go up. You know, Ethan Green, on your site at the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, you have some gripping videos of people heading out in snowmobiles or heading out on skis, where all of a sudden you just see the snow start to crack like an eggshell and start sliding. And there's usually some horrified curse words of the people filming as they watch their friends get buried in the snow. So these things do happen. Absolutely. You know, avalanches are uh, happening all the time throughout the winter months in, in Colorado. You know, we document about 5,000 avalanches a year. That's probably less than 10% of what's actually happening because a lot of avalanches are happening during stormy periods where we can't record everything or in areas where that are just really hard to visualize. It is the most dangerous natural hazard in the state in terms of fatality. It's certainly not when we start looking at like property damage, but when we're looking at people dying, it has a very major impact on the folks in the state. Well, you know, some other things that were interesting in your report, you didn't show people who died because they went into high hazard areas because your avalanche information center actually rates avalanches and lets people know in the daily forecast whether the avalanche risk is low, medium, moderate, or high. Am I, what are the actual categories? A low, moderate, considerable, high, and extreme. Most people die under the considerable avalanche danger rating, which is level three out of, out of five. 
when we have a low avalanche danger rating, you can still trigger avalanches. You can still get caught and, of course, killed in avalanches. But the number of places where you can get into trouble really drops. And so it's really sort of an encounter probability issue. It's, it's just hard to find those places. Um, when we're at the high end of the scale, at higher or extreme, it's very easy to find places to get killed in avalanches. But there's also a lot of things telling you that. It's typically a big snowstorm. It's really windy, snowing so hard you can't see anything. And so people tend to stay out of avalanche areas, or it's really easy for them to think about the avalanche hazard because it is literally like right in their face. When we're in that middle section, the moderate and considerable, that's when you can still trigger a really dangerous avalanche, but you might go out and have a couple of feet of fresh snow and beautiful blue skies that Colorado is so famous for. And so you have wonderful recreational possibilities. It seems like such a great day, but there is danger lurking out there. That's what makes that middle part of the scale so dangerous. It seems like people do tend to avoid the extreme danger areas, or at least they don't die in them. Maybe they're being extra careful when they're there. But in that middle zone, moderate to considerable, maybe it just doesn't sound scary enough. Yeah, it certainly doesn't sound scary enough. And it's one of the issues with the danger scale that we struggle with. There's really an international danger scale. Very similar scales are used in Europe, and this particular scale is used throughout North America. And it really deals with the natural hazard itself. It really deals with avalanches. It doesn't incorporate people at, at all. So it, it'd sort of be like, uh, you know, rating the, the wind speed based on the miles per hour, but uh, not so much like whether you have buildings or people or anything of value uh, in harm's way. So we stick to using that danger scale the way it's designed, but we try to use other things to try to get the points across to people that we're at level three of five today, but this is also a really dangerous day. This is a day that somebody's going to get hurt. That's what we do within the forecast through social media. We have things called special products where we put out kind of special alerts for people to get the point across when things are more dangerous for people because that's the core issue. There's a saying that goes, there are old mountaineers and there are bold mountaineers but there are no old and bold mountaineers. Yes, I've heard that saying as well. It, it is very close to the truth. You know, in Colorado, we do have, um, you know, pretty tricky avalanche conditions. We have more people that die in avalanches historically and, and annually in Colorado than any other state. And that's really a combination of relatively tricky avalanche conditions, but also the, the number of people that are in the mountains and the access to the mountains. So we have this intersection of culture that really values backcountry recreation, lots of access to backcountry recreation, and fairly tricky avalanche conditions. It is still possible to recreate for many years, many days a year, and many years in a row in the mountains around here and do it safely. And there's lots of people that do that. It's also uh, possible to get killed. And uh, on average, you know, six people a year in Colorado uh, die in avalanches. Well, Ethan Green, even though the rates have slowly ticked up fatalities in the last 50 years, they have not skyrocketed. Is there a chance that avalanche safety classes and some of the new tech and your forecasts reduce what might be an even greater death toll and accident toll? Yes. I, in fact, I would say that it, it would be really hard to, to come to a different conclusion. Uh, we don't have all of the numbers to, to prove that. Um, you know, it's one of the wonderful things about backcountry recreation is there's no tickets to buy. There's 
know, turnstiles to go through. We don't have counts of how many people went out yesterday versus 10 years ago versus 20 years ago. But certainly we have tons of anecdotal evidence to point to dramatic increase in use in the backcountry. But we do know how many people are dying in avalanches. And, and like you said, the numbers are increasing a little bit, but certainly as we go over the last 10 years or so, they're pretty flat, a flat number of fatalities and uh, skyrocketing use. Something is going right. You have uh, avalanche forecast centers across the country that are providing uh, high quality information on a daily basis that people can use. Something that gets overlooked a lot, I think, is just the culture of backcountry recreationalists that have put a high value on avalanche safety. So it's really intertwined in that community. And it's those people that are getting education and using the public safety information that are really most responsible for the flat line of fatalities. But good luck on that line staying that way or maybe even going down. And thank you for joining us, Ethan Green, Colorado Avalanche Information Center. Your latest new study will be published mid-March. But right now, people can get a sneak preview of it on the blog that's at your Colorado Avalanche Information Center website. That's right. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, please have a enjoyable and safe rest of the winter. Don't you come around We'll set the fire And get snowbound Shed our snows You tend to make soft snowy sounds That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Susan Moran. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Prince Avalanche. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line, 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender. Shelley Schlender.